listening to the Beauty of the Nile podcast. I'm your host, Jasmine Mobley. The Beauty of the Nile podcast is your source for wonderful skincare tips, favorite skincare solutions, amazing advice, great conversation, and fabulous beauty inspiration, specifically for women of color from the experts on skin of color. We are here to affirm and amplify the beauty of brown skin in all shades, and to encourage women of color to care for and love our brown skin. We believe that skin care is health care and self-care. Each episode features a different guest who will be dropping dimes to help you best care for and love your brown skin. I'm excited to be here with you. Let's get started. Today, I'm here with Dr. Janine Luke. Dr. Luke is a board-certified dermatologist, associate professor, and serves as residency program director at the Loma Linda University Department of Dermatology in California. She obtained a BS from UCLA and a master's degree from California State University, Los Angeles. She completed her residency in dermatology at St. Luke's Hospital in New York City, where she also obtained extensive training in skin of color. Dr. Luke specializes in medical and cosmetic dermatology with expertise in hyperpigmentation, hair disorders, and skin of color. She lectures locally and nationally and has a special interest in resident education. She is the director of the Cosmetic and Laser Center at LLU and created the Resident Cosmetic Clinic, a curriculum designed to give residents specialized training in performing cosmetic procedures. She currently serves as chair of the Technology and Social Media Committee and is a member of the board of directors for the Skin of Color Society. In her spare time, Dr. Luke enjoys singing, traveling, and cooking. Dr. Luke, welcome to the Beauty of the Nile podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. I know you're like such a wealth of knowledge and you have a great amount of training. And one of the things that stood out to me the most was your training in skin of color. You did extensive training. Can you talk about what it really means to have extensive training in skin of color as a dermatologist? Yeah, so in dermatology in general, when people undergo dermatology residency, that's their kind of short period of time where they learn everything about hair, skin, and nails. So we all do that in dermatology residency, but then there are some subspecialties within. And so skin of color happens to be one of those subspecialties where, or niches, if you will, where people have a special interest or expertise in people with darker skin types. So I actually did my residency um, in New York City at the first Skin of Color Center. And so, you know, there are Skin of Color Centers, you know, around the country now, but um, that was really big news and something that I really wanted to be a part of when I was um, applying for residency. And it was something that I was really excited about. So when we think of kind of like centers of excellence, we think of like cancer centers, stuff like that. So um, similarly, a Skin of Color Center is one that's focused on not only seeing patients of color and developing you know, clinical regimens and treatment approaches for them, but also conducting research. So that way um, we have an evidence-based approach when we're um, taking care of patients with these needs. So I think that's, I think that's amazing. And I think it's interesting on one hand, it's kind of wild that it was newer, right? When you were starting and that that wasn't a specialty, but I'm so glad, like you said, that more people are able to get that training today and hopefully it will become less of an anomaly. 
And uh, I know talking to you and a lot of the other dermatologists that I've had on the podcast, that sometimes different skin issues or hair issues can manifest themselves differently on skin of color. So can you talk about like as a patient, why it's important to, you know, talk to experts and get information from people who really understand skin of color? Yeah, this is um, like you mentioned, um, after having these specialties and subspecialties and things like that, it's become more apparent that this is something that needs to be incorporated into all dermatology residency training. And so that's kind of where we're getting to, um, where we're trying to incorporate, you know, additional information, um, how things present differently, different approaches to treatment for people of color, some of their unique challenges and needs. And so that is kind of where I see the future going, where we don't necessarily have a skin of color expert. You will still, of course, because people, of course, are interested in certain aspects of dermatology more so than others. But at baseline, I would love for everyone to have a good foundation in caring for this population and really understanding their needs. Yeah, that's so true. In an ideal world, I mean, skin is all different. In an ideal world, an expert on skin, right, would understand and be able to, you know, understand the different issues for all skin types. I know, you know, for myself, like when I was younger, I had a mark on me that a, a doctor, a dermatologist who was not a dermatologist of color, and I don't think had seen many people of color misdiagnosed it. So it caused some issues for me down the line. And so I know that Hopefully you're right. In the future, we won't need this subspecialty or it may exist, but everybody will be equipped to, you know, to handle those different issues as they come up. Absolutely. Yeah, that that's the hope. But like I said, there are so many different niches within dermatology that I still feel like there will be people who, of course, have a love for a passion for treating this population and really taking good care of them, but that everyone will have a good foundation and be able to, you know, treat anyone that walks in their door. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I know you have a lot of different subspecialties that you focus on or a lot of different areas of expertise. Um, I'm really curious, you know, since we're on the Beauty of the Nile podcast, when you see patients of color, I know you see all patients, but when you see patients of color, what are some of the most common skin concerns that you see affecting those patients? Yeah, so I see um, a lot of patients of color. I do um, practice in Southern California, so I have a very diverse patient population, but people of color specifically seek me out. I see a lot of, you know, eczema, common things, you know, that, that may present differently or um, common things that we'll see like people with moles and, and things of that nature. I do see a lot of hair loss, particularly in African-American women, which is a huge concern in this population. And so I see a ton of patients with hair loss and not just, you know, one specific type of hair loss, but all kinds of hair loss. Um, and then I see a lot of people with acne, hyperpigmentation, um, issues with discoloration and things of that nature. Okay, so really interesting things there. So eczema is something that pretty much everyone in my family struggles with, including myself. And I've read and heard that eczema is common in, in populations of color. Do you have any insight as to why? So um, there are some genetic components to, um, to eczema. 
which we are aware of. And of course, with a lot of these skin conditions, we don't know every single thing that's contributing. Uh, but we do know that there's not only a genetic component, but there's also an environmental component. Um, we know that eczema likes to travel with asthma and um, seasonal allergies or allergic rhinitis. And so we do find that we see a lot of patients that have those coexisting conditions mm -hmm. as well. And so then I think also thinking about living conditions, you know, exposure to pollution, smoking, other things like that, that also plays a role, um, as well as just the fact that um, African Americans in particular have um, a lower content of ceramides, which are mm -hmm. important kind of moisture barrier um, proteins in the skin. And that can also contribute and may be part of the reason why um, African Americans can look dry or be ashy, things like that. So um, having dry and sensitive skin definitely has a genetic component, but we're also seeing some strong environmental ties as well. That's super interesting because, so I live in a very warm climate. I'm in, in Arizona at the moment. I've all, I basically grew up in all warm climates and everyone in my family has horrible seasonal allergies. So that's really interesting. We don't have any of the other risk factors that you said, but that's a really interesting point that could be could be at the root of my issues, at least. Um, I'm one of those that has to take allergy medicine like proactively every single day. So, <laughs> um, but I, I also used to live in New York City where there's a lot of pollutants as well. And so I would have flare ups there. So you're, I guess I was just not doing myself any favors then either. <laughs> Yeah, and then even, you know, colder climates where it's very dry and cold, um, sometimes people will notice flares of their skin condition around those periods of time. I also lived in, in New York City for a short period of time, so I know it gets really cold, not like, you know, Chicago cold, but it's still cold enough. And if your skin is sensitive and not really used to that, it can definitely take a toll on your skin. Right. Right. Okay. That's super interesting. And then you talked about, and I hear this a lot from all of our listeners, acne and hyperpigmentation, big um, concerns for our communities. Can you talk a little bit about why we tend to see that in patients of color um, in your experience? Yeah. So actually acne is super common. So everyone, you know, almost everyone has had an encounter with acne. We know that it's one of the top five things that people of color come into the dermatologist for. And so, you know, it's very prevalent in the population. So I think it's not necessarily that, you know, people of color are coming in more for this. It's just that it's very common. So it's affecting everyone, even with people of color, you know, darker skin types. What I find though, that is unique to skin of color is that oftentimes there may be some discoloration. Um, and we consider this to be post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. And that basically is the result of, you know, overactive color cells or our melanocytes after an acne bump or or, you know, minor inflammation in our skin. And so we can commonly see this. I find that this is often more bothersome to patients than sometimes even the acne itself, because it can take, you know, months, several months, and sometimes even up to a year for some of the discoloration to go away. Okay. That's super interesting. And also very relatable, I'm sure for everybody listening and myself. And I, I, I don't know if this is actually factual, but I feel like a lot of people talk about it takes like five minutes for acne to appear, but it takes like a year for dark spots to go away. Is that some, is there some truth to that statement that it's really easy for acne to flare up, but then it's harder to, or it takes more effort to get the hyperpigmentation to go away? 
Yeah, and this is one of the reasons why I'm always super aggressive with my acne treatment. Of course, I ask patients like how much it bothers you, but I, I remind patients that we have to get the acne under control. If we, you know, people are like, I just want the dark spots to go away. But if we don't address the acne, then people can continue to get new spots, new areas of dark spots. And then in some patients, and this is a higher percentage in people with African heritage, Hispanic heritage, Latinx, um, we can get some hypertrophic or thickened scars or even keloids as a result of even acne. And so I always remind patients that it's really important to aggressively treat acne to prevent discoloration, but also scarring. Time for a quick break. Make sure you go to Beauty of the Nile and get the very best skincare products and information that were designed specifically for your skin and skincare needs. Use code PODCAST, that's code PODCAST, to get a great discount on your first product order. This is a limited time offer. Now, back to the podcast. That's, yeah, so that's really good. I think a lot of times people that I've talked to will kind of try to skip past the acne, right? A lot of dermatologists will talk about somebody being like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I just want to address the hyperpigmentation. But I think, like you said, educating like you do on the fact that the acne and hyperpigmentation are tied together. So if you don't address the acne, you're kind of like putting a band-aid on the problem and it'll just be, you'll be back in the same spot where you started, which is really frustrating for people. Absolutely. I find that people get really frustrated with acne and, you know, it is very common. And thankfully, I always remind patients, we have a ton of treatment options and it's really just about finding the medication or the regimen that's going to work great for them. And so I always, you know, reassure my patients that we will find the medicine that's going to work best for you. We will get your acne under control. And then as a result of that, improve the color, the discoloration, and all of that as well. I do simultaneously treat acne as well as hyperpigmentation, but I just make sure that there's true buy-in that we have to get the acne under control first before we start addressing the dark spots. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to make sure that the patient is on the same page. And I think you've talked about this a lot, I think on your social media and other things, but that you really want the patient to feel comfortable and educated themselves on what you're doing so that they can be empowered, which I think educating us on our skin is probably one of the most empowering things because otherwise it's like you said frustrating confusing you don't know who to trust or what really will work for you so I think that's great that you bring them along with you on the journey Absolutely. And that's what I explained to patients too, that it truly is a journey. Um, thankfully, I'm blessed in dermatology to have lifelong relationships with a lot of my patients. I mean, I've been practicing for more than 10 years, but I've had patients that have started with me from day one, and then those who have joined along the way. And it really is a journey, you know, to um, healing, uh, to, you know, self esteem to, you know, all kinds of things. And so we really kind of walk side by side. I love to kind of, as you probably can, can tell, I love to talk to my patients. I love to educate them. I love to give them the knowledge that they need. Sometimes they're like, Dr. Luke, that's overkill. Just tell me what you want me to do. And some really want to understand exactly what's going on, why I'm recommending one treatment over the other. So I love to talk about the different options and why I've specifically tailored a specific treatment option for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm one of those and I feel like I 
know a lot of women, so I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm one of those that really wants to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'll come with like questions. And so I think, you know, it's really comforting to know that A, the person you're talking to really knows what they're talking about and B, that you feel empowered to know, okay, this is what's being used on my skin and why. And, you know, if there's a problem, you can kind of ask about it and feel empowered to ask about it. So I think that's really great that you have that two-way dialogue with people. And of course, no one's going to change their dermatologist when it's working, right? I would never. <laughs> so I would love to talk a little bit about different, um, different skincare, different elements of a good skincare regimen. So you don't have to like, I'm sure you can recommend a jillion things, right? Depending on the person, there's a lot of caveats, but in a basic skincare routine, maybe for somebody who's struggling with acne hyperpigmentation, what are sort of the elements that you generally recommend to people? Yeah, so I'm actually a strong proponent for simpler rather than more complex regimens. So I actually think, you know, you don't have to like buy a thousand things. You know, I, I usually recommend just a very simple regimen of cleansing, um, treating or, you know, moisturizing your skin and then protecting your skin. So what I, I usually do is recommend a cleanser. So if people have acne, it may have active ingredients towards, you know, the acne. If people have discoloration, it may have brightening things in it. And then I usually recommend after cleansing your skin, removing all the makeup, dirt, impurities, all of that, then you want to use any, um, treatment products. If you have any prescriptions or anything like that, you can do that next. Follow that with a good moisturizer mm -hmm. in the morning, good sunscreen, and that's pretty much it. Um, again, you can do targeted things at night if you need to, but like I said, having something that's really simple that covers your bases that you are going to consistently do every day works wonders. Yes, that's a great point. Something that you feel empowered, like you're actually going to do because otherwise it's like anything, right? Like a diet or whatever, like if you get or a workout routine, if you give yourself all these hard, crazy things going from zero to hundred, it'll be really hard to keep up with and you probably won't. And the point you made about a good moisturizer, I think, especially since you mentioned the point earlier about ceramides and skin of color, I think it's probably especially important for people listening. And I think sometimes when we don't live in dry climates, we assume like we don't need a moisturizer. Um, so definitely a really good point. And then sunscreen, of course, is like Bible. We have to do that. I know. And if ever, anybody listening has probably heard every dermatologist say that, but it's really important because I think for so long, communities of color have thought we don't need um, SPF and we really do, right? Because I mean, I can let you talk about this, but I think that not wearing SPF, it's not just about, obviously you could get skin cancer and other things, but I think it can worsen hyperpigmentation and other, other things as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you literally, you just hit it right on the head. Um, in people of color, yes, skin cancer is not as common, but it still can occur. And then mostly people are getting the benefits um, towards hyper preventing hyperpigmentation, worsening hyperpigmentation. And so that's where we really see um, a lot of the benefits for sunscreen use in darker skin types. Yes, we have melanin. It is somewhat protective in that it does help delay some of the signs of aging and and all of that. But we do know that, you know, despite skin color, people are still getting damaged from the sun's rays. And so wearing a sunscreen will help prevent that. I think that's a really good point that I was having a conversation about last week, which is delaying the signs of aging, like our melanin can help with that. But that doesn't mean that you are not going to age, right? Or that you can't get wrinkles 
or whatever. So like you said, I think that having a good routine, like you're talking about before you need it, or as soon as you can, um, can help in the long run, even if you're not seeing every day, you know, like, for example, I have friends who obviously who are white or and have like much fairer skin. And so sunscreen was like automatically something that they needed to do. And, you know, some people have, if they have red hair, for example, I know are more prone to burning, but for us, I think it's really important too. We just don't talk about it. And I've also, you can check me on this, but I think that one of the other dermatologists I was interviewing talked about unexpected places where you can get UV rays, even if you're not leaving your house, computer screens and other things. Yeah. So what we've um, also known, that's exactly right. Um, what we also have come to find is that it's not just UV radiation, but it's also visible light, mm-hmm. uh, which in, in particular, we think of like high energy blue light, which can occur from different um, devices. It can mm-hmm. be also, you know, in other forms of UV radiation as well. And so it's really important to get a sunscreen that I usually recommend one that's t- tinted because it has a particular ingredient, iron oxide, which does help protect against visible light and then some parts of the UVA spectrum as well, which the broad spectrum sunscreen may not cover as much. Okay. That's super interesting. And iron oxide, I've heard a few people mention that. So I think that's a really good one that I'll just highlight for everybody in the show notes. Everyone can remember. And, you know, I've had a lot of conversations in the past week or two Um, with a lot of women who are like in their 40s, 50s, beginning to age, which is such a beautiful thing and sort of struggling with like, okay, my skin is different than it used to be and I don't really know why. Can you talk a little bit about some changes that we as women, as people can expect as we age and just sort of maybe some different ways to process or address those things? Yeah. So, um, you know, I I tend to think of aging as, you know, a a difference in philosophy. Some people want to, you know, let nature take its course and not really do anything and just kind of see what happens. Some people are like, you know, anti-aging, right? They're against it. They want to fight it. And then there are those that I, you know, like to target, you know, where it's like, you just want to look like the best version of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You don't want to look different. You don't want to look 20 again, but you, you know, you just want to look good for, for your age and, you know, for where you are in life. And so um, there are different things that can occur as we age, we start to, you know, decrease the amount of collagen production, which is kind of, I like to think of as like the scaffolding for our skin, our collagen and elastin. Those are two important um, components of our skin that help give it its elasticity and um, part of its firmness. So I, we start to lose that, we don't produce as much, and then it kind of gets destroyed a little more quickly too as we age over time. So we can expect that. There are things that we can do. There's a lot of good studies and evidence against using things like a retinol or retinoids to help um, with you know, increasing or boosting your collagen production. There are some like bony changes and we sometimes will have some weight shifts and fat redeposition um, as we age where we tend to lose some fat, particularly from our face. Mm -hmm. And that may may be more noticeable. There are cosmetic procedures that can help address that. If there are issues on the surface of the skin where you've got like sunspots, sun damage, things like that, there are some things that we can do to address that too. 
So lots of things that potentially can change. And so intrinsic aging, we can kind of think of things that are internally going on, some of the processes, like I mentioned. Um, and then I also remind patients about extrinsic aging, which we do have a little bit more control over, like smoking, um, how much sun exposure we get, diet and exercise, things like that, where we can, you know, make some slight lifestyle modifications and hopefully improve the way that we age over time. I think that's a really good point because, um, you know, when we have, we have, we can have these great skincare routines, which is obviously important to like have a routine that works for your skin, but then also, you know, there's other things like, you know, if you have dirty pillowcases or if you're touching your face all the time or other things, like you said, that are outside of us, you know, what we eat, all those things that contribute to overall wellness, which are reflected oftentimes on our skin. So I think that's a really good point. I don't know if you've experienced this, but some of the other dermatologists I've spoken to have talked about, you know, patients coming in and they're like, well, it's not working. Right. And then it's like, well, have you done it every, have you done your routine every single day? Have you been consistent? And then have you been washing your pillowcases, your makeup brushes, you know, all these other things that also contribute to your skin's health. Yeah, absolutely. It's important. And I always kind of ask the question, like, why? Okay, tell me, what is it about the regimen that's not working? Is one of the medicines too irritating for your skin? So you put it down and you haven't used it or you only used it twice. And so it's really important to really get to the root of one, is it just that the treatment that we prescribed is not working and we need to try something different? Or is there something about the regimen that you've been given that you know, you're unable to kind of carry that out consistently. And so, yes, I agree. It's very important to kind of make sure you drill down and figure out exactly what it is that people are having a problem with. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And I also think one thing, I don't know, this is not necessarily a scientific recommendation, but I know some dermatologists who do it where you take a picture before, you know, before you start the new regimen and then like throughout progress photos, kind of like if you're trying to lose weight or do something else, because sometimes I think it's easy to forget that you're making progress, right? Because you're making progress, but it's not done yet, or it's not complete yet. And sometimes I think it's helpful to think, right, that you're making little improvements every day, sometimes fast, sometimes slow, there can be a lot going on. But I think that sometimes it's helpful just as a person, as a consumer of skincare, um, to realize how far you've come from where you were. Absolutely. And I love this you know, I love taking pictures of my patients for this exact reason. Um, a lot of times people will forget actually what they look like, you know, from because they see themselves every day. And so they'll kind of not really notice that, oh, yeah, that dark spot is gone, or it's lighter, or, you know, I have a different, you know, area that's completely gone now. And so I think it's really important. And I love showing people their before and afters and just kind of saying like, look, you know, look at look at how much progress you've made, um, which again, it's really important, especially my hair loss patients to kind of really see like, no, you do have some hair regrowth. Look at this area right here. Um, but similarly for discoloration, for acne, I think it's very useful to have patients track their progress. Hey, time for another brief break and a reminder, make sure you go to Beauty of Denial and get the very best skincare products and information that were designed specifically for your skin and skincare needs. Find out why women and men all over the country love our products. Use code PODCAST 
to get a great discount on your first product order. This is a limited time offer, so go now. Now, back to the podcast. That's such a good point because hair loss, skin issues, all of it can be very sensitive, especially I think, I mean, it's probably for everybody, but I know like as a woman, I think that we are so... Beauty is something, beauty is intrinsic and external, right? But I think it's something that we all want to feel our most beautiful. And sometimes if these things are going on, it can be really stressful, right? So you don't think about the progress, but I think it's great that you're able to show people that, um, you know, and then they can see where they're going on the journey a little bit, which is, I think, fantastic. And, um, you know, you talked a little bit about that as we age, you can start to see like fat go away a little bit. I was talking to somebody today and learned that you lose like one to two percent of your collagen every year which is pretty wild <laughs> um so how do you sort of recommend to patients are there things for the people who are in the middle like you said right where they're not wanting to look you know 19 again and they want to just look at their best selves are there sort of ingredients that you tell them to look for things in their lifestyle that they can sort of do to combat these things yeah, um, I first off, I say like no dramatic weight changes. And so um, as we can imagine, like the more weight that we have, the more weight that we have in our face, and you we tend to equate, you know, a larger face with youth. And so um, a lot of times people are like not really worried or coming to me if they're overweight or they have, you know, extra, you know, so a few extra pounds and all of that. It's the people who are highly active, they work out a lot and they're losing a lot of weight yeah. or people who, you know, have gone through dramatic weight loss where they were, you know, maybe overweight and then lost like 60 pounds in a, you know, three to six months or something like that. So it's the dramatic changes, I think really take a toll on your face and make it look, give people almost this like sunken in appearance. Um, we've been seeing this a lot with um, people on Ozempic and stuff like that. You've probably heard of Ozempic face. Yeah. And so you can, I mean, they call it Ozempic face, but again, it's where people are losing the volume from their face and it's causing changes that are not really appealing to people. And so I just try to remind people, you know, it's great. Like if you really want to lose weight or, you know, um, I would just say, do it slowly and gradually, nothing drastic, nothing dramatic. That's going to really take a toll on your face. And um, so that's what I really see a lot with, you know, people who um, go through dramatic weight shift. So that would kind of be my biggest tip is more gradual weight loss over time, if that's your goal. Yeah, I think that's probably healthy in general, right? Because I think there's like a healthy or like a normal amount of weight that you can lose over time. And also, like you talked about having a skincare routine that you can stick with. If you have a weight loss plan that's more gradual, I think it's a, I guess you'll avoid the sunken face look that people are trying to avoid, but also you'll probably be able to stick with it. It'll be more sustainable. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I want to talk a little bit about, I know you have, you have two daughters, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So one of the things we talk about a lot on the Beauty of the Now podcast is like how we want next generation or our daughters to feel about their beauty. So if you had a message about beauty for your daughters, or maybe something that you tell them all the time, what would that be? 
Yeah, I mean, this is so great. I, I literally tell them all the time that, you know, the way that God made them is exactly how they're supposed to be. And so um, we do a lot of celebrating, you know, I tell them all the time, you know, how great they look, how cute they look. And not just so that, you know, they feel like, oh, you know, I look amazing, but to really encourage them that your hair is fine just the way it is. My daughters, I have an eight and a 10 year old. They both have natural hair. I have natural hair. We actually all have different textures. And so we kind of celebrate what makes us unique. Um, they, we read books, you know, where they see people that look like them. They kind of understand that the way that they are is actually okay. And it's, it's great. So that's what we kind of do in our house. Um, and it's something that my mother kind of instilled in me. Um, my mom, is very dark skin. My father's very light. And so she experienced, you know, not only racism growing up in the deep South, but also colorism too. And so she was very like vocal and really just like reminding me that, that I am beautiful and that, you know, what, no matter what other standards there may be, um, that I look fine just the way I am. I think that's really beautiful, especially at eight and 10, it seems so young now that I'm no longer eight or 10, um, but it's really important. I think those are the ages where kids start to hear things from other kids or start to really understand things that are being said about them, or even just like hearing people call people beautiful or not beautiful or those sorts of things. So I think it's really powerful, like what you instill in them at home. I think it goes a long way. I know that like growing up, my parents had a really positive environment for all of us. I have a brother and a sister, but for my sister and I, especially too, right? Like around beauty. So I think it, I think that's probably one of the best gifts that you can give them because like you said, it's beauty, but it's just how you feel about yourself. I think beauty is, can be anything, right? But it's, I think how you feel about yourself and just being cloaked in this armor that like you are confident and you love yourself. So I think that's really wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah, they, they definitely have a, a good, strong sense of identity, even at a young age, and they know that they're loved, which is important for me. Yeah, knowing that you're loved, I think is probably, I don't know if there's a greater feeling or greater thing that you can give to anybody, but especially to children. So I love that. And you talked a little bit about your mother, um, and you talked about her experiences with colorism. Can you talk a little bit about if you've experienced colorism or if you've witnessed it or even stories from your mother and sort of how those conversations impacted your perceptions of beauty? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, um, my mom is also like a super strong woman and, you know, again, had a strong sense of identity, like who she was. And so um, even if she experienced, you know, different treatment or things like that, like she really did not let it get to her. And she always was like, no matter what, like you have to put your best, you have to show excellence. And so I didn't really have a lot of worry about, you know, how people were perceiving me, um, how people were treating me. And I was kind of like the only in some of my advanced classes and things like that. But once I got to college, um, I had a really strong community. I went to UCLA for, for college and there was a strong 
black community and you know everyone was like so uplifting and so I had a lot of positive experiences um, and not so much negative as far as colorism is concerned because we really tried to like embrace all of our differences and we were kind of like in this awakening stage anyway again we were kind of coming into our own really um, finding our sense of identity so I'm so thankful for that time where you know we had a really strong sense of who we were and who we wanted to be. And so, um, yes, my mother had some negative experiences, but thankfully I haven't had too many of those for specifically around colorism. Now, racism is a different story because of course, you know, being in medicine and, and all of those things, there are some inherent, you know, um, structural racism, things that are, are part of the system, but um, thankfully had a lot of good experiences and positivity around colorism. Good. I'm so glad. And I, and I think too, it's powerful, obviously. Colorism affects different people in different ways and different generations of our family, some in current generations, right? Um, some in the past, but we're all sort of aware of it. But I think it's really powerful when people have experienced colorism, but can still pass on like a positive outlook. You know, it's really hard, I think, when you felt, when you felt pain in any way, right? And to be able to have a positive outlook and pass that on to other generations, other people. So I think that's really, that's really great um, that she was able to do that, especially in such a very different time, right? And I think it's wonderful that at UCLA, you know, you had a strong Black community that was really uplifting each other because that's what it really should be all the time. And I think I've had enough of these conversations to know that that's not what it is for everybody all the time, but I'm really glad that you had that experience. And I hope more people have that experience. Absolutely. Okay, so one of the things we say a lot at Beauty of the Nile is love your brown skin. So when you hear that, what does it mean to you? Yeah, it's for me, um, loving your brown skin is really about like embracing what makes you unique. Um, really, you know, being um, happy with the skin that you're in, knowing that there's a rich culture and a rich heritage that goes along with that. And so for me, it's again, more of about celebrating and embracing what makes you special. I love that answer. It's such a good one. And I've been talking a lot with all the skincare experts that I've gotten to interview about the fact that skincare really is healthcare. It's something I just like started saying one day. And so when you hear me say skincare is healthcare, what does that mean to you, especially as a dermatologist and a skincare expert? Yeah, so I mean, I know I'm a little biased here, but um, I think skin is one of the most important organs that we have. Um, and also just important to know that like, you should and absolutely take care of your skin. Skin is actually the largest organ. And so it serves many vital functions. Um, it serves as a great barrier. Um, it also, um, you know, helps with regulating your temperature, so many things that the skin does. So it's really important to take care of your skin and not just your face. We have to remember, you know, all of the parts of our skin that are so important. And I, that's why I think, you know, the ultimate gift to yourself is really taking care of yourself, um, both the skin on the outside, but also internally with the lifestyle and, and modifications that we incorporate into our lives. I think that's such a great, I think that's such a great message. And you're right. I think sometimes we forget that skin is everywhere. Obviously it's everywhere. Obviously the face is what we all see every day and what we focus on, you know, but you talked about, you know, 
people of color tending to have more dry skin sometimes. Like, you know, we talked about like lotioning your heels and your feet and those sorts of things. And I think you just feel better when you take care of your skin all over. Obviously, skin care can look different on different parts of your body, but I think that's a really important thing to call out that it's a whole body, whole self thing that we can do. And you're right, like it's also, you know, I, I interviewed a skincare blogger and she talked about going in to see a dermatologist in New York for a routine checkup and then finding out that she had something that could have been skin cancer, right? And like having to get it out. And so I think it's just one of those things that we should take care of everything, right? And not just focus on how good we look because if you can look good and there can be other more serious things going on as well. So just being really intentional about that. Absolutely. I always recommend just people kind of keep an eye of the certain areas that they have, if they have any moles or, you know, things like that, particularly on like the palms and soles. Sometimes people of color um, can get a specific type of melanoma or worrisome skin cancer, and that can occur on the palms and soles. And so I just always recommend kind of keeping an inventory. It can be internal of just like, okay, I know I've got these spots, like has anything changed? Is anything growing or doing anything strange? And if so, to bring that to the attention of your dermatologist. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a great piece of advice. I love it. And, you know, I, I feel like I connected with you on social media a while ago, and I'm so glad that I did. And now you're a part of the beauty of the Nile community forever. So what Yay. does being, I know I'm so happy to have you and I'm so happy we finally get to do this. What does being a part of the beauty of the Nile community mean to you? Yeah, again, it's like, I love that there's a space and an opportunity to kind of be, you know, um, sometimes we kind of walk and navigate the world and we're trying to figure out, okay, how should I be? How should I behave? How should I act? What should I do? But I love that this is a space that really allows people to embrace you know, their natural skin tone, their natural hair, their beauty, um, which like you mentioned is not just a reflection internally, but you know, it's also external as well. So just really, you know, having that space. I love that this community allows for that and truly celebrates it. I love that answer. I'm so glad you feel that way. And I'm so glad that you're here and you feel comfortable to share and just bring all of your knowledge to this community. So I'm very grateful. You're very welcome. I'm so happy to be with you. My last question for you, although I've had a lot because you've said something interesting in the past, more questions, but I've just, I could talk to you forever, but we probably don't have time for that. If you had to recommend one person for me to interview next, who would it be and why? Ooh, so I love, as you know, and, and I'm sure you've interviewed a lot of dermatologists, but um, there are so many great dermatologists that I think um, would really have some great things to share, some unique insights. I don't know if you've talked to Dr. Nina Singh already, but she's an amazing dermatologist. She's a hair loss specialist. Um, she's a fantastic person. So I think that would be a great place to start. And then again, you know, so many derms and, and other people. That awesome. I will definitely, I will definitely reach out to her. Um, I think I've seen her on social media, probably from exactly. all you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so I will definitely reach out to her. Thank you for such a good suggestion. And I'm just loved having you on the Beauty of the Nile podcast today. So thank you for enriching all of us, for being a part of the Beauty of the Nile community and the Love Your Brown Skin movement. So just thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for thinking of me and including me in your podcast. You're welcome. And if anybody wants to stay connected with you on social, where can they find you? I'm at MD.
Awesome. Very easy. And I'll make sure we call that out in the show notes. And we're over at Beauty of the Nile and beautyofthenile.com. Thanks for being here. I hope that you all enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Dr. Luke was a joy to speak with and a wealth of knowledge. She helped to demystify the science behind some of our biggest skin concerns in an easy to understand way. I'm excited to continue to bring you amazing, empowering, enriching conversations for women of color from the experts on Skin of Color. This is Jasmine Mobley, and you've been listening to the Beauty of the Nile podcast. Beauty of the Nile is your source for wonderful skincare tips, favorite skincare solutions, amazing advice, great conversation, and fabulous beauty inspiration, specifically for women of color, from the experts on Skin of Color. Love your brown skin. Tune in next week, same time, same place, for more stellar information and a new amazing guest who will be dropping gems. You won't want to miss it. For more great content, head to beautyofthenile.com to sign up for our free newsletter and to be the first to know what's next at Beauty of the Nile. Join us on Instagram and all social channels at Beauty of the Nile. And join our Facebook group, Beauty of the Nile Community. We can't wait to connect and grow with you. Until next week, enjoy life.